The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hello and welcome to the quarterly update podcast for the Loomis Sales Strategic Alpha Fund, where the portfolio managers share their thoughts on the markets and their strategies. My name is Erica Casal from New Texas, and today I'm joined, of course, by Matt Egan, the portfolio manager on the Strategic Alpha Fund. Thank you so much for joining us again today, Matt. Well, thanks for having me. Um, and I think we have a lot to talk about because it really was such a great end of the year for for fixed income. Um, Q4 performance was very strong, pretty much across the board. What do you think the major catalysts to that were? Well, it was clearly the Fed's perceived pivot, uh, you know, in the November meeting. So that was a line of demarcation. And you're right, it, we feel a bit vindicated because we have been talking about this as the year uh, of the bonds returning. And that was a little bit slow. Uh, you had to be you had to be patient. It kind of came all in November, December, you know, with really blockbuster returns and um, across the board, because obviously from, you know, the Treasury perspective, if you look at the ag was up something like, you know, almost 7%. Uh, and that was driven purely by the uh, the downdraft and uh, the yield curve across the board, uh, with a lot more rate cuts being priced in for 2024. We we had thought that the Treasury market in October had overshot when the 30-year got up about 5%, and we were adding to duration on that. Um, but that sort of um, that that you know updraft uh, from August to October was almost you know completely unwound. And uh, you know that that provided a bid for risk assets too. So you saw strength across the board, and credit markets, you know, with high yield up seven percent. Investment grade did even better up. Uh, investment grade corporates up over eight, uh, and you know that was led more by the duration element of it, right? Because that's a longer duration um, asset category. So that was the the beginning of the end of it, really. I will take it absolutely. Um, and as far as as far as your team's concerned, and how. You go about your portfolio construction process, taking a lot of those those macro um, indicators into account as far as you know your top down macro view of the marketplace. One major indicator that you guys have been using is the the credit cycle that you typically use. Um, the last time we were together, you maintained that we remain in the late expansion phase of the credit cycle. Has that changed at all? It hasn't. We still remain in the late cycle, and I, you know, admittedly, I felt like there was a very high probability of a of a recession um, coming in, turning into this year. And I'm surprised, and I think the market is surprised because everybody, I think, had penciled that high probability uh, of a potential downturn coming into the into the turn of the year. And it really just has. I call it the dog that hasn't didn't bite, you know, and. Uh, you know, the market had priced it into the credit markets. You know, you saw some uh, wobbly credit markets beginning, you know, really in 2022 with, you know, possibility of losses coming into the market. And we really have not seen that. And and that's quite remarkable because of how swiftly the Fed tightened, um, you know, liquidity in the market, uh, you know, tightened financial conditions. So very impressive um, underlying economic tailwinds there, you know, and the GDP numbers very strong for the third quarter. It looks like they're going to be very decent for the fourth quarter, too. So what gives? And I, I think um, you know, we are entering into a period where I think that there are some uncertainties uh, because what I've always uh, talked about is the lag of policy um, and also on the other side, the 
what we're calling the unstable nature of inflation, given some of the uh, secular tailwinds we see to inflation, those four Ds that we talk about um, in the past. And so, you know, it's possible, uh, the, I think a very crowded trade right now is a soft landing, right? So we don't enter recession, the economy kind of like decelerates, but, you know, remains okay. And the Fed is just sort of, and inflation drops and, and we, you know, we continue to, to move along. That, that probability has certainly increased with the data, but I would just kind of, you know, highlight that the coast is not completely clear because uh, Fed policy moves operate with a lag and the Fed did not really get tight and hard to believe it didn't get tight until some time of a little less than a year ago. So it could be now that the that that recession or that weakness that people were expecting actually comes more forcefully in the months ahead, in which case whatever's priced into the market for rate cuts will will certainly transpire. Um, uh, I think uh, you know it's also a possibility that um, given the sort of unstable nature of inflation, that you get the opposite, which is um, that really what was driving the weakness was less, you know, sort of the, what I would, meaning the weakness there, where we are seeing some slowdown. And this is one of the things that kind of gives me pause on the, on the lag. We're seeing slowdowns in uh, the labor market in terms of the numbers of jobs coming through. We're seeing the PMI data softening. So all that says, you know, there is some effect of, potentially some effect of, of the financial conditions tightening visa be the Fed. However, I'm also mindful that it might simply have been the fact that price levels were very high and consumers uh, were actually earning a negative real income. And so they felt lousy. And we know all how the poll figures turn out. People people poll pretty, uh, you know, uh, pessimistic. And what we're seeing now is that for whatever reason, inflation, and there are a lot of reasons, but inflation has definitely decelerated more than people are expecting, uh, expected, and we continue to expect that to, to transpire. Um, but wages are holding up pretty good. And, and so this is that you know danger where you get the wage price spiral because now wages are positive in real terms. So consumers, they still, you know, they're still gainfully employed, uh, you know, the unemployment rate is still very low, they could start, you know, feeling more confident about their position in spending. And then with a the lag, inflation comes back, right? So, uh, you know, in other words, we get our sort of reacceleration. So those are the things that I think you have to really pay attention to in this market right now as the data comes out and it really dictate the, where the rest of this year goes. As far as what the market's pricing in today, soft landing, right? And they're expecting a continuation of declining inflation and therefore, you know, the Fed uh, starting to roll off or become less restrictive. Thank you, Matt. And before we get too far into, you know, macro environment or outlook, as usual, we usually just take a step back to remind listeners that this product, you know, it falls under the non-traditional bond Morningstar category, which is a different mandate, um, not only from, from other funds that Matt and his team run, but it's also quite um, diverse as far as goals. So maybe just as a reminder for our listeners, could you just go through the main goals of Strategic Alpha? 
Sure. Uh, what we're trying to provide here is the same look and feel from a risk reward perspective as what you would get invest as an investor investing in uh, something like a core plus type of fund. So a traditional type of fund. And uh, the key difference is we don't uh, run it to a benchmark for absolute return. Um, and we're thinking about, um, you know, building total return, uh, including income through through the cycle. Um, but the, uh, the the key uh, aspect of it is that you gain a lot of diversification. And whereas traditional fixed income, as we've definitely seen over the last three years, are highly sensitive to interest rate risk. That's the predominant risk of those um, you know type of funds because they obviously are benched to a benchmark that's high quality, mostly treasuries and high quality corporates with a very long duration. Our fund definitely has a bias towards taking less interest rate risk. Uh, the maximum duration we've run historically is about five years, and we often run a lot lower than that. So by nature, we'll have less risk associated with interest rate risk, and we'll diversify into other risk factors in the market. But we do so, unlike uh, some of the more aggressive sort of multi-sector funds, we do so with an eye towards maintaining that same risk reward you know that you would you would expect from a, a core plus so we don't want to give anybody really bad expectation you know when risk is trading up and we do that by maintaining a four to six percent standard deviation band as a guidance for where comfortable living uh that gives you an idea what the drawdowns will be in a, in a typical you know uh, drawdown um, and, you know, the key thing is that we manage the portfolio for those expectations or so provide sort of gates on how much risk we take, et cetera. So, you know, I think when you look at the history of this portfolio, it has a very low correlation to uh, your traditional fixed income. It makes it a great diversifier. Our, our return goals are obviously to be cash by two to four percent. But importantly, we're also... Uh, you know, our secondary goal of ours, an important goal is to beat the ag. And, you know, I think when you look at the last three years, what we've been very successful at when a rising rate environment, although it's not just for a rising rate environment, it definitely does very well at preserving principle with interest rate volatility. So we held the line on principle. And what we did is climb the yield from, you know, as low as 2% to over 6% and in cases higher than that. Now, so we we preserve principle, got people to a higher level of income. So I think it's done its job uh, very, very well. Thank you, Matt. And certainly for for the final quarter of the year, you managed the fund to participate in that 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 rally for sure. Uh, the fund return for for Q4 was up just under five percent, around four point nine. So it was really strong performance. Um, and as far as what led to that, you know, when we speak to attribution for the product, it's usually in the terms of of credit positioning, curve positioning, and currency positioning. So speaking as far as those those major drivers, could you just talk about what the the major um, contributors and maybe some detractors for the overall return for the quarter? Sure. The the main driver was clearly uh, interest rate, the duration aspect of the portfolio. We had increased our duration uh, during the year and and with a final move 
during the run-up um, in October to about a four-year duration, which is very high for us. It's about the highest we've run historically. And we also had a steepener embedded in the uh, portfolio really since about um, August. Um, and we play that steepener off and on through through the last six months. And that's benefited. So the total uh, you know, portfolio return for the quarter, we added about uh, 300 basis points um, on the yield curve. Uh, so that was a, the majority of the, it was about three quarters of the return um, spread. However, you know, we, uh, as we mentioned in prior, we, you know, we definitely tilting into spread sectors for sure. We had a, you know, a differentiated view on, on credit spread. We thought there was good value there and uh, that added, um, you know, well over 1% as well um, to the, uh, to the portfolio. Um, so those were the key drivers. Um, and we also had some uh, pretty good security selection. On the negative side, there really wasn't much to talk about on negative. It was a really, you know, all, you know, everything driving, uh, you know, Ford uh, and everything in the portfolio working very well. Um, you know, I would say there's always mixtures and bottom-up security selection. We definitely, you know, have um, what we call our high conviction positions. The vast majority of our high conviction positions, you know, were, were additive. There were a couple that, you know, subtracted uh, with first quantum and dish being the, the more notable ones, but nothing really to write home about. It was so overwhelmingly positive. Great. Thank you, Matt. And as you kind of mentioned, you know, the past two years, as far as investor experience, it was really driven as far as a lot of that volatility that we saw by inflation and interest rates. I mean, what do we think some of the bigger areas are of potential risk or, or return is going to be in 2024? Is it going to be a, more of the same? I do think inflation is going to continue. We mentioned a little bit about this already, and I think inflation is going to be a key factor. Um, and I think this is going to be an ongoing story because, uh, you know, our, our underlying thesis is unstable inflation. So, you know, uh, inflation is going to be cyclical with with our view of the cycle, and it's going to, you know, appear to be reaching bottoms and what appear to be, you know, two percent type of uh, bottoms, which seems good. But I, the, what I would just advise in, investors not extrapolate that forward because I do think, on the margin, if it bottoms out there, you know, that's still higher than where it was bottoming out during the QE years and the post um, post GFC years. Uh, when we had a disinflationary environment. So this is a little bit of the opposite. And we have to be on guard um, for that as investors, This, like I said, this year. So I would be looking for the narrative changing yet again on the risk side to inflation kind of getting more sticky um, and hard to get down from about a 3% handle to a two and a half or less uh, on, a, on, a, on a cyclical basis. So in other words, we think in inflation is bottoming. The question is, at what level does it bottom out at? That's the, the open question. And then secondarily, um, what does the other side of the cycle look like? How does it, you know, how does it start to ramp up again on the other side? Uh, that's probably something to worry about for the next cycle. I do think um, inflation in, is indeed bottoming for this year. I think that's the way to position and bet for it. Um, and, you know, our models are saying inflation um, should start to moderate down to about a two and a half, two and three quarters percent by the uh, middle of this year. Uh, and we'll just have to wait and see. But that kind of level 
will definitely give the Fed the ability to start actually cutting rates. And I would think that, um, you know, what's priced in the market seems to be a bit aggressive in terms of the tightening, you know, starting in March. But I could definitely see by June uh, the Fed starting to to cut um, and, you know, could be three cuts uh, from there for the rest of the year, as opposed to like the six that's priced in today. It could be four, um, not, you know, somewhere around that level. And and really the, what's more important is how many cumulative cuts they make in in this potential easing cycle that that's coming forward. Um, when you run all those numbers through and you look at where, you know, we think inflation can bottom and what the outlook is for the longer term perspective, I think there's two uh, things you can develop from it. One is that the front end of the curve is definitely has room to come down. And a lot of that's priced in the market today. Uh, you know, it's basically there. Um, the short end of the market has a lot of room to come down, I meant to say. The short end has a lot to come down, and that'll just simply be because the Fed controls the front end of the curve, right? So out to the two-year. So when you're thinking of forecasting, the way I think about it is like, where will the Fed be? That tells you where the two-year will be, maybe informs you about the five-year. And then you're thinking about, for the longer end, some other factors like what is the long-run inflationary um, situation look like? What does the real uh, uh, rate look like? And when I put those figures together, I think you should, given our backdrop of uh, you know more unstable inflation, I think you should be getting at least a 2.5% inflation premium, the break-even for a 10-year. And I think the real rate should be running closer to 2%, which is where it ran before the GFC, which is in line with, I think, um, you know, two factors. One is that um, you don't have QE anymore. And two, there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, debt that has to be funded by the Treasury, has to clear the market. And I think that's going to put an upward bias on real rates. So you put those two together, and that tells you the 10-year is definitely over four. We're at about four, and we're talking about, you know, a full cycle here. But I think a fair value in the 10-year is closer about a four and a half percent. And, you know, we can trade around that. We're on the lower end of that range. It could pop down lower this year as the Fed, um, you know, uh, cuts rates. Uh, but we just should be mindful of that because what it does, it tells me, you know, you're kind of capped out on the longer end. And there's some ball that could be um, out in that longer end of the market. So for us, we like the intermediate uh, part of the treasury market, we're in the two to five year, and that's where we've been uh, living in terms of where we're putting our duration. And again, we're we're positioned with a steepener. So we're actually shorter the 10 year part of the curve here in this environment. And I think that's the trade for this year will be a steepening bias in the yield curve as the Fed starts to engineer that you know, actually go follow through with the pivot. You know, almost continuing on that thought a little bit. So as far as, you know, the the major themes, we do think that we're past peak interest rates. We think, you know, rapid increases in inflation are behind us, but we are going to see some choppiness or highly likely we're going to see some choppiness on the way down here through 2024. So you mentioned a little bit your duration positioning. How are you uh, positioning the rest of the portfolio to to accommodate for that? So we pulled back on our risk um, allocation slightly uh, into the new year, just on the strength of the rally going into the end of the year. 
So we always define the value in the spread sectors by looking at our risk premium models. Uh, so we're, like we said, we, we always look at where are we in the cycle, we're late cycle and, you know, whenever you're late cycle, you have to worry about the possibility of a downturn. Um, and I'm less worried, um, you know, we talked about the possibility of, you know, something worse than a soft landing coming across, either because the Fed has already done too much or inflation rises and they have to kick it into gear again and really hit the economy. You know, when I talk about a hard landing, I mean, right now, my base case scenario is that we avoid an outright recession, but you have something that's more aligned with a growth recession. So, you know, sub uh, trend growth that doesn't keep up with uh, the job the, the increase in the labor force, and therefore your unemployment rate rises. Uh, but it's it's kind of more of a benign form of, you know, an economic slowdown versus an outright, you know, major job loss, et cetera, things like that. So that's one of the reasons when we looked at, you know, we were, we've been late cycle for a while, and we've always viewed that, hey, the next thing, you know, on the cycle map is, is the downturn. However, with that, you have to make an estimate, you know, in a downturn, what is the level of that downturn? And and I would expect any you know outright recession to be pretty mild. Uh, it's hard to get like a big correction. So you know, forget about like 2020, 2008. We're talking about run of the mill kind of mild recession if it does occur. And then you have to say, what are the losses that would transpire to you know the credit markets in that environment? And this is where. When we looked at this last year, even in the case of you know our our view of a high probability of recession, we still couldn't drive losses up high enough to you know make them look uh, make the credit markets look rich relative to the prevailing spreads. In fact, the risk premium, which we defined as the as the prevailing spread for a given market, less the losses associated with that market, that was actually uh, above the median level for uh, you know historical level. And when you're above median, that's a very attractive uh, hit rate. It's a like two-third win over the long run. And 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 that itself is a great financial metric. You know, you want to you want to have that in your portfolio if you can find them. There's very few in the market that you can find like that. So we were riding and now you get to the end of the year and spreads have uh, rallied uh, so they tighten in quite a bit um, because more money started to come into the market in the spread related markets um, at the very end of the year and there was no supply. So it came when the new issue supply was shutting down for the holidays and we all know that dealers don't keep enough supply on. So spreads rallied in and so what I would say is the risk premium still is positive, but it's um, below median. And so it it's a market that looks like it's on the tire end of what I would call a trading range. Right. So like uh, on high yield, we got down to like less, even less than 350 spread. That puts your risk premium somewhere around 100 basis points. We were operating above 200, um, you know, for much of last year. So, uh, you know, for high yield, we just we just cut back. You know, we, we trimmed underlying holdings that are run a lot. We did the same in investment grade and we just kind of took down our overall risk per, uh, posture at the beginning of this year. You know, we've seen a sell-off and a, and a correction um, that's been well published, publicized, a backup in yields. 
I think that's just, you know, a reset in the market and, and you know, a good sell-off. Uh, I suspect this year we're going to be in a range-bound market. Like I said, it's going to be a trading range. The beginning of the year is usually seasonally strong. We're laying off risk now, and I'm sure we're going to get a bite at the apple again uh, sometime probably around April uh, or May as, you know, as the market starts to turn more seasonally weaker. Uh, so I think it's trend right. You know, where we are overall from a risk perspective, though, is we're about average. Um, you know, if you look at our standard deviation on ex ante basis, we're right about, you know, somewhere around 5%, probably a little bit lower now. And that's like right in the middle of the range. So we're not taking a lot of risk, but we're also still leaning into the spread area. And because of that, we're picking up a lot of a lot of cannery, as you know. And I think it's going to be one of these markets where carry is going to win. You compound that carry. The volatility is going to be, you know, nothing like it was in 2022. And you just want to earn that carry and, you know, pick your spots in, in the uh, from a security selection perspective. Great. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, and thank you for the time today, again, for joining us. Um, and for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Strategic Alpha Fund and how Matt and his team run the strategy, please reach out to your Natixis wholesaler or visit us on our website at im.natixis.com. Important information. Standard performance is a percentage for Luma Sales Strategic Alpha Fund as of December 31st, 2023. Class A at NAV. Three months 4.8%. Year to date 7.7%. One year 7.7%. Three years minus 0.06%. Five years 2.6%. Ten years 2.35%. Class A with 4.25% maximum sales charge. Three months 0.38%. Year to date 3.08%. One year 3.08%. Three years minus 1.48%, five years 1.71%, 10 years 1.9%, class Y three months 4.89%, year to date 7.9%, one year 7.9, three years 0.2%, five years 2.88%, 10 years 2.61%, ISB of A three month treasury bill index, three months 1.37%, year to date 5.01%, one year 5.01%, three years 2.15%, Five years 1.88%, 10 years 1.25%, ISB of A three month treasury bill index plus 300 bits per second, three months 2.06%, year to date 8.01%, one year 8.01%, three years 5.15%, five years 4.88%, 10 years 4.25%, 30 day SEC yield, Y, subsidized equals 5.89%. 30-day SEC yield, Y, unsubsidized equals 5.81%. Performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Total return and value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold. Current performance may be lower or higher than quoted. For most recent month-end performance, visit imnatixis.com. Performance for other share classes will be greater or less based on differences in fees and sales charges. Performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized. Returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any. Top 10 holdings for the Luma Sales Strategic Alpha Fund as of December 31, 2023. Company percent of portfolio U.S. Treasury notes. 4.500%, November 30, 2024, 3.30%, Republic of South Africa Government Bonds, Series 2037, 8.500%, January 31, 2037, 2.40%, Glencore Funding LLC, 6.500%, October 6, 2033, 1.90%, Uber Technologies, Inc., 
4.500%, August 15, 2029, 1.30%, Morgan Stanley, MTN, fixed rate to October 21, 2024, variable rate thereafter, 1.164%, October 21, 2025, 1.20%, CCO Holdings LLC CCO Holdings Capital Court, 5.125%, May 1st, 2027, 1.20% Continental Resources, Inc., 5.750%, January 15, 2031, 1.10%, Citigroup, Inc., fixed rate to January 25, 2025, variable rate thereafter, 2.014%, January 25, 2026, 1.10%, CSC Holdings LLC, 4.625%, December 1, 2030, 1.00%, Dish DBS Court, 5.250%, December 1, 2026, 0.90%, the portfolio is actively managed and holdings are subject to change, there is no guarantee the fund continues to invest in the securities referenced, gross expense ratio 1.00%, class A share, 0.75%, class Y share, net expense ratio 1.00%, class A share, 0.75%, Class Y share, as of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on April 30, 2024. When an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios may be the same. The 30-day SEC yield is a standardized calculation, calculated by dividing the net investment income per share for the 30-day period by the maximum offering price per share at the end of the period and annualizing the result. Unsubsidized 30-day SEC yield is calculated using the gross expenses of the fund. Gross expenses do not include any fee waivers or reimbursement. A subsidized 30-day SEC yield reflects the effect of fee waivers and expense reimbursements. The SEC yield is not based upon distributions of the fund and actual income distributions may be higher or lower than the 30-day SEC yield amounts. During periods of unusual market conditions, the fund's 30-day SEC yield amounts may be materially higher or lower than its actual income distributions. Diversification does not guarantee a profit or protect against a loss. QE. Quantitative easing is a form of monetary policy in which a central bank, like the U.S., Federal Reserve, purchases securities from the open market to reduce interest rates and increase the money supply. CLO, a collateralized loan obligation is a single security backed by a pool of debt. GFC, global financial crisis. AG, agricultural credit refers to one of several credit vehicles used to finance agricultural transactions such as a loan, note, bill of exchange, or a banker's acceptance. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of January, 2024, and may change based on market and other conditions. Loomis Sales Strategy Alpha Fund Risks Fixed Income Securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit, interest rate, as interest rates rise bond prices usually fall, inflation and liquidity, below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities, currency exchange rates between the US dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline, derivatives involve risk of loss and may entail additional risks, because derivatives depend on the performance of an underlying asset, they can be highly volatile and are subject to market and credit risks. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities. 
Due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity, these risks are magnified in emerging markets. Mortgage-related and asset-backed securities are subject to the risks of the mortgages and assets underlying the securities. Other related risks include prepayment risk, which is the risk that the securities may be prepaid, potentially resulting in the reinvestment of the prepaid amounts into securities with lower yields. Commodity-related investments, including derivatives, may be affected by a number of factors including commodity prices, world events, import controls, and economic conditions and therefore may involve substantial risk of loss. Non-diversified funds invest a greater portion of assets in fewer securities and therefore may be more vulnerable to adverse changes in the market. Short exposures using derivatives may present various risks. If the value of the asset, asset class or index on which the fund holds short investment exposure increases, the fund will incur a loss. The potential risk of loss from a short exposure is theoretically unlimited, and there can be no assurance that securities necessary to cover a short position will be available for purchase. We believe the information, including that obtained from outside sources, to be correct, but we cannot guarantee its accuracy. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit imnatixis.com or call 800-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Distribution, LLC, Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales & Company, LP are affiliated. Add tracks. 217-2184-261. Expiration date, April 30th, 2024. POD 07 December, 2023.